right, we bring on Robin Lundberg, SI now senior host. Uh, you know, there, listen, there's a million things obviously this early in the season in the NBA because we know well it's full of drama and it's full of uh, big stars and a lot of question marks. The Lakers always dominate the headlines. Darvin Ham now there, there's there's all this conversation about how the locker room feels about him and his rotations and his. It, when you see this, when you hear these stories. Do you look at this and say, okay, it's a team that's struggling a little bit and this is what's coming out? Or does it feel like it's maybe something bigger like the Darvin Ham era is crazy enough already unraveling in L.A.? Well, I mean, look, they won the in-season tournament. There's a banner and everything. Right. So why are we worried about this right now? <laughs> uh, you know, I said it at the time and I was only half joking that LeBron and the Lakers need to go as hard as they possibly can for the in-season tournament because – you know, they are their roster is not that talented from top to bottom when you look at it. They really don't have shooting. They've got Torian Prince playing minutes, guys like that out there playing minutes. LeBron is the oldest player in the league. Anthony Davis, you know, has the street clothes meme going on for him. So counting on those guys to not only be healthy in the playoffs is enough, but also counting on the rest of that talent around them being enough is too much. So I really did think going for the in-season tournament was a really good idea for them. But yeah, I mean, I think once you start seeing stuff like this from Shams and the like, there is is smoke to that fire. They, they've been in a bit of a tailspin. And we all know the coach is always the easy scapegoat. You know, um, Rob Lowe, I mean, Rob Palenka ain't going to get canned, you know, in the, in the middle of the season right now. So it, it's it, it clearly there's some disconnect, some discontent going on with that team. I mean, it goes back to Austin Reeves and even reports of him having friction with, with Darvin Ham, and he's probably the third best player on that team. So, yeah, I, I think uh, the, the Lakers do have legitimate issues, and roster construction, aside from rotation, is one of them. Yeah, I think Jeannie is a big part of that, too. Unfortunately, hiring a lot of her friends. I know Linda Rambis is, like, making calls. And, like, I think she was a Laker girl back in, like, the Showtime era. <laughs> and then her and Kurt just kind of hung around. Uh, Emmanuel, quickly, though, near and dear to my heart, sixth man of the year candidate. He probably should have won it last year. He goes to Toronto, probably going to get the absolute bag. He goes crazy in his starting role, 26 points. How do you think he and RJ affect Toronto? Toronto moving forward. Well, quickly needed that sort of change in scenery, I think, because of the, the conflict with Brunson. I mean, through no fault of his own, those two guys just play the same position. And Brunson is really good. You know, Brunson, it, it, aside from his height, um, it, it doesn't really get enough credit for what he's actually done with the Knicks in, in the league at this point. So quickly was never going to get all the way off the leash with the Knicks just because of that position fit and the fact that you couldn't play those two guys together. So I, I like that that look for Toronto there. R.J. Barrett was never that much of an impact player for the Knicks, but maybe back home in Canada, he played well for the national team as well. You know, it's just the kind of thing, perhaps a change of scenery, less expectations will help him out. So Toronto was, was going really nowhere. There, there was no reason for them not to, to take a swing at something that could stick. Um, and, and it looks so far like the, the move has been a good fit. And then on the other side, Robin, I mean, from the Knicks perspective, did you like them trading for OG? And then do you think like the Knicks finally have enough now for them to go out in the offseason and attract one of these big free agents? You know, I, I think I, I like the move quite a bit, actually, because like I just said, that they needed that wing position. They had 
quickly giving them a glut at that at that guard spot. Now maybe they need a, a backup there. I think they could use an upgrade at, at shooting guard. But they had Brunson, they had Randall, OJ, go, OG goes in between, and, and that's a good fit for them. As far as a big star, I mean, we're so caught. We're almost like trained with muscle memory to do these same exercises in the NBA. You know, they need to get the guy. They got to go get the guy to make the move. I don't know if that's the way that the league is constructed anymore. Every super team that's put together fails now. You know, everyone yes. falls apart at the seams. We're already, like, talking about the demise of the Phoenix Suns. They were just put together. So I, I don't think we're in that era anymore. In fact, I think one thing I – mean, look at the odds right, right there on, on my screen. Look how close and bunched up a lot of those teams are. None of those are super teams per se. I mean, obviously, Milwaukee now has Giannis and Dame. The Celtics have a bunch of guys. But the, the Heat were in the finals a year ago. No one's calling them a super team. Plus 1,500 looks pretty good to me, um, <laughs> given their recent history. So I think the NBA has done a good job at developing parity in a certain sense where it, we're now in a world where the Oklahoma City Thunder are all of a sudden contenders. The Minnesota Timberwolves are all of a sudden contenders. You you're probably could list off six, eight teams who realistically – could at least be in the mix. So I don't think the Knicks have to go out there and land the biggest fish possible. I think they have to continue to build on their roster and improve their personnel because they aren't that far away. I mean, the Heat I just mentioned were in the finals last year. The Knicks went six games with them last season without these moves. So I, I think if they keep making those moves around the margins. They could be right in the mix. Yeah, where do the Knicks stack up to you then? I, I mean, we we, we we haven't seen much, obviously, with this new roster and the way that it's constructed yet. But the East, I mean, I'm looking here. We got the Magic, the Cavs, and the Knicks all sitting there at 19 and 15. And again, look, we got a long season ahead of us. The Magic could fall off, although we've all sat here and talked about how much we like the Magic coming into the season anyway. So, fingers crossed it doesn't have, you know, we've got a few bets on that division winner. But, like, I just it feels like right now we haven't gotten to the point where a lot of teams have truly separated themselves besides maybe a Boston, but we found moments where Boston's incredibly frustrating too. Like I, I kind of feel like the Knicks are in a spot where they could easily climb back up to like maybe a, the, around like the four spot, maybe surpass the Pacers because they're kind of up and down. It's just everything feels very, very wide open right now. Yeah, man, that was what I was just saying. I think the Knicks are probably the fifth best team in the conference. You know, looking at it on, on paper, given the heat, the, the pedigree points, mm -hmm. um, given Boston and Milwaukee the edge, and then Phillies look really good. That's another team, sneaky team around the deadline. You know, Daryl Morey's always been very aggressive. One move could really put the Sixers over the top, though. I'm, you know, I'm not a big believer in Embiid when it comes to the postseason just because he's usually broken down around that point in time and, and he doesn't get the, the same calls. A generational flopper for a big man. Um, but, you know, <laughs> when, the, when the refing gets a little tighter... But, I, yeah, I'd say the Knicks are, are right in that, that group of teams. Again, they were, they were there last year. My stock line used to be that the Knicks have won one playoff series since I graduated from high school. That is no longer true because <laughs> they won a playoff series a year ago. Uh, so that's now two playoff series since I graduated from high school. And if they could win a playoff series, who's to say they can't win two with a slight improvement like they just made? I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Knicks are in the Eastern Conference Finals. Especially now that they have some guys, or at least a guy in OG and an OB, who's a really good corner, catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter. We saw what happened against the Miami Heat when they stopped being able to score from deep. They just packed the paint on them. I, I do want to get your thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets. And I know it's not a sexy team to talk about, but they're fascinating because they're hanging around. 
they they have reasons to compete. I mean, you would imagine they don't own their own draft picks due to the trades that they've made, and yet they seem already to be punting on the season, especially that game right around the Christmas break against Milwaukee, where Jacques Vaughn sat everyone for absolutely no reason against a packed house. That was the move a contender makes, which was strange. You know, the reason that, that game stood out was Mikhail Bridges. That game would not have been talked about the same way if it wasn't for Bridges' streak because we see teams rest guys all the time. Now, usually it is a team that plans to be playing late into the spring and, and into the early summer, and that's not going to be the Brooklyn Nets. But they, they sat everybody but Cam Thomas and Bridges. Bridges obviously played because of his streak and then didn't go back into the game. That was what was so curious about it and really so infuriating if you're rooting for the team because it was a winnable game. And, and then it's hard for Jacques Vaughn to get up there and go, you know, we got to dive on the floor. We got to make all these hustle plays when you totally give up on a game. So I, I don't think they, they're punting the, the season because of that. I, I think they were expecting to then win the next game against the Wizards. But their season has gone to a tailspin since then. They haven't won a game since then. They lost to the, the Wizards, who obviously they should beat. They've, they lost to the Rockets last. They look lifeless. They look soulless right now. And they're stuck in a nebulous area because like you said Trista they they don't have their own draft pick so there's no incentive to tank right now at the same time they're clearly not contenders and their best assets are down the line like I really I'm a fan of the Kevin Durant trade all, all things considered once you know once that red button is pushed you know you, you're forced into making a move I thought they did as well as you possibly could getting Bridges and Johnson back not to mention four first round picks uh, pick swaps, whatever the, the rest of that, that package was. And if you look at the way Phoenix is constructed, very good chance they are bad when those picks come due. But they're still um, paying the, the debt on the Harden trade to Houston. They owe their pick to Houston this year. So you could make the argument, I suppose, sell off everything and just try to get as many assets back, but that's probably not helping you in the short term. I think most likely they're keeping what they consider their core pieces, the, the twins. I, I don't know what the organization thinks about Cam Thomas because he's weirdly been jerked around where he's, he's you know, not starting, then he's starting, then he's not starting, then he's getting pulled after struggling a little bit when really you should be developing somebody like him um, over Spencer Dinwiddie, I guess, even though you know Thomas has his flaws, but maybe they, they view him as a, a trade chip. I'm curious to see where they go if they, they make a desperate move at the deadline or if they make more like marginal moves like trading Dinwiddie, who's an expiring, trading Claxton, who's an expiring, trading guys like Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith who might have value to contenders and not value to them right now and, and still trying to build around those guys who are in their late 20s on good contracts. Rob, what about the Grizzlies? Obviously now with John Morant back, they're playing a lot better. They're five and a half games behind the Lakers for that 10 seed in the play-in game if, if that were to happen today I think the tough thing with the Grizzlies for me it's like if they end up making like a 9 or 10 seed like who's the team that they would replace but do you think maybe they're worth a bet long term with job back now in the fold hold on I gotta check my receipts and see what they say you know I keep them um, <laughs> I still don't know what John Morant was talking about did anybody ever say he wasn't a good basketball player like, I don't know, like what the, the case was it's tough in the West and with all those teams bunched up when you start in that kind of hole. Now, the, the play-in tournament 
changes the whole game in a sense because we were just talking about the Nets and the Nets are what five games under 500 right now but still in the play-in tournament right so your your uh your life raft is is a lot uh, longer nowadays it's it's not like uh Leonardo DiCaprio from the the Titanic you're not getting kicked <laughs> off that sink into the bottom of the ocean you can hang on and cling on for longer but I, I think that the Grizzlies started in a little bit too much of a hole um to to really get up there with the big boys uh, got about a minute or so left here. We were talking about the Warriors earlier, 16 and 17. Draymond's going to be back with them soon. I mean, uh, clearly they've they've gotten older. This is what happens with great teams. It's just the way the NBA works. Are they still a playoff team in your eyes? Are they just a play-in team in your eyes at this point? Because I feel like it's still really hard to write them off just given the history of this team. Yeah, I think they're right on that bubble of 7, 8, 9, 10. Um, it, but Steph Curry is, you know, it's funny, all the Steph-LeBron talk over the years, because now Curry is in the position LeBron was once in, where he's actually, of all the superstars in the league, probably asked to do more than anybody else when it comes to singularly carrying a team. Klay Thompson's not the same player he once was. Draymond Green can't stop choking people or, you know, doing whatever he's doing to, <laughs> to get himself suspended. Um, you got, who else is on? Wiggins was benched. I mean, they got, you know, Kaminga guys, little nice pieces, but they don't have another scorer, really. They don't have consistent secondary production, point, second, third production point-wise. A lot of that's coming from Steph. So I, I really just don't think they have the horses anymore to get it done. Yeah, it's crazy, but it, all, all good things come to an end in the NBA, as we've seen. Robin Lundberg, SI Now. Appreciate Thanks, the time, brother. man. Thanks for coming on. You got it. You remember everybody who talks about Michael Jordan never losing. When his dynasty ended, he quit to go play baseball. He had a little time. Exactly. Off <laughs> he dodged. He dodged all the criticism. He knew. He knew what the damn legacy was going to be. It's a smart move. Thanks, Robin. From the grind. <laughs> he, he did. He played baseball. Came back. Team was looking good again. And then you know what? Like nobody ever talks about Jordan and the Wizards. By the way, Let, let's they don't. let's just bring that up.